how many people know or knew that 2015 is and has been the International Year of Light? Ah, I had a few people. On the 20th of uh, December 2013, the United Nations General Assembly proclaimed 2015 as the International Year of Light. And they launched this global initiative to, and now I'm quoting their website, to highlight the importance of light in people's lives, for people's futures, and for the development of society. And their publicity goes on to explain that the reason light matters and why this year is so important is because light is necessary to the existence of life. Now, there's clearly a, a kind of major scientific drive and, and focus behind this particular initiative, and their website explains that. But as we come to the first Sunday of Advent, which is today, which for many people officially marks the start of the Christmas season, as we enter into that period of preparation for Christmas, or, or maybe a better and more accurate description would be this season of mayhem, I thought it would be, be good during Advent to 2015 for us as a church to kind of use this relevant and topical theme and international year of light as a reason to reflect on the coming of a very different light, a, a unique global light that, or rather who, as we've just sang, stepped down into darkness. And so over four weeks, four Sundays, we're going to think about first light, guiding light, true light, and reflected light, recognizing and affirming that this light is absolutely essential to life, but life at a whole other level, life in all its Fullness. And so the big idea of this morning, or, or the simple message, and it really is a very simple message I have this morning. The simple message is this. Jesus is necessary to the existence of life. Now, quite often in, in churches at this time of year, Advent candles will be lit each week. We have done that in the past here, kind of as visual reminders. But this morning, I have a gift for everyone. Okay, this is hopefully one of your first Christmas gifts, but I have over 200 of them. They're for everyone. And it is a tea light. No expense spared. They were 40 for the price of 30 in Poundland. Okay? <laughs> so I'd let you know. So you don't need to feel bad about taking this from me. Okay? But I'm going to give everybody a tea light on the way out of church later. And I want to kind of tie this in with last week's thought about Daniel being someone who was committed to and who had a regular pattern of prayer. And so what I want to invite you to do today or this week is I want you to find a quiet space. I want you to light the tea light that I'm going to give you. And I'm going to encourage you to just take time to pray. That as you step into this Christmas season amidst all the busyness and all the additional demands that you will actually use Advent 2015 as a period of intentional preparation 
for celebrating the birth and the coming of the light of the world who is necessary for the existence of, of life. And today as we uh, start this short series of really reflections as opposed to sermons, because that's what they're going to be. They're going to be much shorter than usual. You'll be glad to know. But I want us to turn to the opening five verses of the Apostle John's rather different take on Christmas. As, as he introduces us to the arrival of the light of all mankind, as he calls it. It's John chapter 1. And as we often do at Windsor, can I invite you to stand for the public reading of God's word. Let's stand together. John chapter 1, just the first five verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Take a seat. Many of you will know that, that John's Christmas story is, is quite unlike Matthew and Luke's. Theirs is kind of more historical. They kind of tell us exactly what happened in and around the birth of Jesus. But John, it seems, is more interested in disclosing, well, well why did Jesus come? What, what was the significance of his birth? John's Christmas story seems so different to Matthew and Luke. And that's because he was writing or he was targeting a different audience. John was attempting to communicate the story and, and make sense of it, not to a kind of Jewish thinking contingent, but to a Greek thinking crowd. And so he begins by grabbing the attention of his original readers. And he does this by referring to the word, or the logos in, in Greek, who John says has been around since the beginning, right since the beginning of time. John 1 begins like Genesis 1, in the beginning. And then he says, was this word? And the word was with God, and the word was God. And, and so for his original readers, this was a huge statement. This would have reeled them in right from the word go. Maybe it doesn't capture us in the same way, but for the original readers of John's gospel, this would have resonated. Now we know, based on verse 14, that John was referring to Jesus, because in that verse, as we all know, the word becomes flesh and lived among us. So the one thing that we may want to ask is, well, well, hang on, why didn't John simply identify Jesus right from the off? Why did he not start, in the beginning was Jesus? And Jesus was God, and Jesus was with God. Surely that would have been a whole lot easier, a whole lot clearer. But for John, his desire to communicate into his context dictated. 
And so, and, and this is not a comprehensive summary by any means. But in Greek thinking, and, and we're going back quite a few years even before Jesus' birth, there was this growing belief that the material universe wasn't random. This was a kind of growing belief. It wasn't random. There was, there was some kind of order to it. And so one key Greek philosopher reasoned that there must be a logical force behind the universe. And since logic involves thinking and ideas, and thinking and ideas, they take shape in words, this philosopher called the logic the word, the logos. It was impersonal, it was unknowable, but it was this universal reason, logic. The Stoics, they, they picked this up, and they asked questions like, well, what is it that keeps the stars in their course? What is it that makes the tides ebb and flow? What brings round the seasons at their appointed times? And they reasoned this, and their answer was, it's the Logos. It's, it's this power, this force that kind of makes sense of the world in which we live. And another influential Greek thinker and philosopher, Philo, then came along, and he used the term something like 1,300 times in his writings. And he said, the Logos was the oldest thing in the world. It was the instrument through which God made the universe, through which kind of God's stamp was placed on the universe, this reason, this logic. Now, if you kind of take a step back, and, and that, that's the environment, that's the context, that's the thinking, and you plug all that back into John 1, it's as if John said to his readers, listen, for years, people have been thinking about, they've, they've been reasoning about the logos, this logical force, this abstract power that makes sense of the world. Well, listen, I want to write to you and I kind of want to tell you that it's a person. It's a person. And I'm going to explain more about that person. And then he starts to share a number of critical truths and facts, which are also essential for us to realize this Christmas because these facts ensure that we don't just focus on the baby in the manger, important and incredible as that is, but that we actually celebrate the birth and the arrival of the cosmic Jesus who transforms everything. The cosmic Jesus who is necessary for the existence of life. That's the one phrase I just want you to take away this morning. Jesus is necessary for the existence of life. Now we could go through each of John's statements in significant detail, and this then would kind of turn into a sermon, but it's the word as the life light that I do want to focus on, but let me just mention these other things. I mean, John starts by saying, like, in, in the beginning was the word, and so what he's just saying to, to his listeners is, that this word had no starting point. This word was simply there right from the start. It wasn't created, pre-existent. In the beginning 
was the Word. Then he says, sorry, the Word was with God. So there was some kind of relationship here. There was some kind of connection here. There was some kind of closeness here with, but at the same time, alongside. There was also some kind of distinction. Then he goes on. The word was God. Unquestionably divine. Mystery. And then John continues and he said, you know something? Through this word, everything's been made. Nothing that you see around you has been made apart from this word. He's the agent of creation. By him, writes Paul years later, all things hold together. And what John is doing here is he's kind of gradually expanding, expanding people's vision, people's perspective, people's understanding. And then, then he makes this big, bold statement. In him. Now, now we're talking, it's now personal. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And you see, these two words, life and light, they become dominant themes in John's gospel. And so, for example, life, he refers to it 39 times. And so you have Jesus saying things like, I am the resurrection and the what? I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus comes on and says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. John 10, I have come, says Jesus, I've come to give you life. Life in all its fullness. And so for John, as he begins to talk about the arrival of Jesus, the word in this first chapter, in his prologue, in his introductory section, he wants to make it clear from the word go that in this coming Jesus, in this fleshed out word, you find life. Nowhere else. This is where you find life. Life as it was meant to be. Not a life that's limited by time. Not a life that's hindered by death. Eternal life. Life, yes, but not as you know it. Zoe life. Eternal life. In this word, this fleshed out word that I want to introduce you to, is life. And the second big theme in word is light. 21 times it appears in John's gospel. It's linked to Jesus. And here at the start, he makes the point that this life that was found in the word, this life that is found in Jesus was the light of all mankind. Without light, as the International Year of Light reminds us and stresses, there can be no life. It's essential to life. It's why for us as Christians, it's no great surprise to discover that the first creating word was of light. What did God say? Let there be light. It's essential. Can't go anywhere else without it. Can't do anything else without it. And here in John 1, the apostle said, listen, see, without Jesus, 
See, apart from his coming, there can't be life. There can't be life as it was meant to be. There can't be completeness. And it's worth noting that verse 4 could be printed. It could be read either way. And both are right and both would work. The way we have it in our Bibles is that life was the light of all mankind. But it could also be written that light was the life of all mankind. Both of those sentences make sense. Both of those sentences are right. Both of those sentences are true. Both of those sentences is exactly what John was wanting to communicate. And then he goes on. And he goes on to talk about the kind of light dimension even further in verse 5. But notice how there's a kind of subtle shift in language, in, in verb tense. Because we have read so far a lot of wases. There is such a plural. Is there a plural to was? Wases? Anyway, we've heard, a, we've heard the word was used a lot of times. Uh, but seeming kind of past tense. But here in verse 5, John writes, the light shines in the dark. Present, present tense. And so it seems that what John wants his first and his subsequent readers and us here this morning to know is that the light that came at that first Christmas shines in the darkness. Present, current, still shining. It's not only a history lesson I'm giving you here, says John. It's not only applicable to my first readers, this is current, this is for now, Jesus is for now, that light still radiates, and therefore we still find life in him today. And you know something? Darkness hasn't overcome it. Now we're back to past tense. Darkness hasn't overcome it. It tried, it failed end off, period. As one writer puts it, against him the darkness through everything it had, lies, treachery, brutality, the machinery of the empire, nails, humiliation, loss of all property, loss of face, eventually the excruciating loss of life, but the darkness failed. It tried everything, but it failed to comprehend, to overcome, and to master the light. You know why? Because the light shines on, the light shines on, the light shines on shines on, still shining. When you think about this, that, that idea and that concept makes perfect sense because light always defeats darkness. If you're in the dark, you turn on a light. Darkness disappears, it becomes a spent force. And so even though many of us, many of you, many in our world, our world lives in the midst of a great deal of darkness and a great deal of confusion and uncertainty and the shocking inhumanity of the suicidal fanatic and the disturbing violence of war and the injustices that some here are living with and the abuses and the neglect and the shallowness of our own motives and will. We don't have to look too far to see darkness, whether it's overseas, whether it's down the road, whether it's even in our own hearts. Darkness, it seems, is all around. It's as 
strong as ever. And yet, you know something? The live, the current, the relevant message of the gospel, the message of Christmas is that the word who became flesh moved into our neighborhood, the one in whom was life and who is the light of all mankind is still shining. The light of the world still radiates hope during the international year of light. And so the challenge our world faces And with this, I close. The challenge our world faces, our families face, our neighbors face, we face this Christmas is, are we going to believe? Are we going to accept this life light? Because you see, as verse 12 explains, to all who believed him, to all who accept him, are given the right to become children of God. And so please, this morning, don't forget your tea light. And as you prepare for Christmas, and as you enjoy your colored and LED lights, please remember to celebrate the light that continues to shine and is necessary for the existence of real life.